This is the Command Your Brand podcast, where we talk to world changers, visionaries, and founders, people that are doing big things and changing this planet in a positive way. We're learning their stories, techniques, and exactly what you need to know so that you can do things in a big way. The time is now. Get ready to take command of your brand. up everybody jeremy here and guys i'm very excited for the conversation we have with us today we have the real jason duncan with us today he is an entrepreneur he is an innovator and he's somebody that is really helping others to get to that next level and find out what that looks like so jason thank you so much for hanging out with me today man my pleasure jeremy good to be here So I want to ask you, you have a super interesting background and you've kind of had like several different lives within your life of careers you've done. And I guess I'm interested to find like you've been in ministry, you've been a teacher, you were very successful kind of, I guess you'd consider it like the tech world with a company you had built around lighting, which is very cool as well. How did you finally know you were doing the right thing? Like, how did you finally know you arrive where you're supposed to be? I'm still working on that. (laughs) (laughs) The cool thing about entrepreneurs, man, is that success and goals grow. Mm. So no matter what happens, a success is someone who reached the goal that they intended. So all of us as entrepreneurs, we set a goal, whether we write it down on the mirror or we put it on a post-it note, whatever. We have a goal. like We're trying to aim. We hit it and like, okay, that's great, but there's more. So we'd set another one and set another one, set another one. So I think that for me, it's always a continual thing. And that's what I coach my clients on. It's like, okay, that's great. You want to exit your business. You want to exit the daily operations by X date. That's great. Okay. So now what? Okay, what do you do now? Because now you can't just say, well, I was successful. I did that thing. There's something more. So I think that I'm working on it. Yeah. I don't think I'll ever arrive. And it's just a continual process until Jesus returns, until I'm buried and gone. Like, I'm going to keep pushing. I think an interesting thing, too, is a lot of people, whether it's their first thing or their second thing or whatever it may be, there's kind of this weighing, like, Is this the right opportunity? Is it time to move on to the next opportunity? And I guess since you've kind of looked at that a couple different times in your life, like how have you decided like, okay, this isn't where I need to be right now, but I actually need to be here. Like, what does that look like for you? So I think it's going to be unique for every person. I don't think there's a formula that anybody, coach, guru, author, speaker could give for people to know. But I think for me, the way it went down is that my first career was in pastoral ministry. And I came out of, I actually wanted to go to college for art to Mm. be a car designer. And I got accepted to two art colleges and that was going to be my life. I was going to do that. But things changed. That sounds like a super cool career, by the way, man, like a car designer. Ever since I was like a kid that I can remember being alive, my earliest memories is I loved cars and I loved drawing cars. And I'd done that all my life. So my career path, I was going to be an industrial designer. I wanted to work for GM or Ford or Dodge or Volkswagen or Porsche or whatever. I wanted to go design cars. But the year between my junior and senior year of high school, I was a camp counselor at a camp. And that summer, you know, just one night, as all counselors do, we're hanging out. The kids have all gone to bed and we're just sitting around going, thinking about life, talking about life. And and I thought, this is what I want to feel. And I don't really think that a car designer is going to feel this way. Mm-hmm. But I think that you're making the impact on the world that could doing some version 
of what I was doing then. So I scrapped the plans to go to art school. I applied to a local private university here in Nashville, Tennessee called Lipscomb and got accepted in their youth ministry program. And that's my first career. So I did that for on and off for about 13 years. I say on and off. Really, I did it for 13 years, but a lot of that time I was also selling health and life insurance to small business mm-hmm. owners as a way to supplement my income. And so I got an exposure to what I quote unquote call a real world. But for me, man, at the end of that, I just was done. I was like, mm-hmm. I can't do this anymore. There's more for me to accomplish and impact to be had somewhere other than this. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't ring true for everybody that's in ministry. For me, that's what happened. And so that's when I said, I'm going to go into the classroom and be a school teacher. And I went back to school, got a master's in education, started teaching school. It's interesting. So I taught school for two years, but I don't have an education background. So like they ate me for lunch, man. (laughs) I had sophomores in high school and like I'm 35. I look like I'm 12 now. So you can imagine what I look like at 24. Like I had sophomores. So it's like they're not timid enough as freshmen and they think they're like amazing because they're sophomores. They had me for lunch, man. I just got to say that. Listen, true story. I wanted to be a high school teacher. You probably taught in a private school, I'm imagining. Basically. Yeah, I taught in a private school. Like, no requirements. They pay you like it's Burger <laughs> King, and you work 100 hours a week. So I went to, got my formal master's in education, went through that process. You have to do student teaching. You have to do 15 weeks. In the state of Tennessee, you have to do 15 weeks of student teaching. And what they try to do is they do seven and a half weeks in one setting and seven and a half in another to give you, so that you can see what it's like. And my first assignment was in an eighth grade American history class at a middle mm. school. And I was not looking forward to it because I had my heart set on, I want to teach high school. As a matter of fact, I thought I was going to teach art. That was really kind of what I was going to go do. But I sat through a couple of art classes as a student teacher. I'm like, this is the most boring thing I've ever seen in my life. I don't remember being this boring when I was a student, but as a teacher, it was terrible. So I decided to teach history. But the middle school was amazing. I loved it. The eighth graders were phenomenal. 13, 14 years old. They're not yet too cool to be like interested in what adults think of them, but they're very independent. So it was perfect. And then I went to the high school. The second seven and a half weeks was in a high school. Hated it, dude. I don't know how you did it. There's no way I could have done it. I would have killed somebody. I would be the guy on the news, like local teacher shoots an eighth grader. This was back in like 2012 for me, man. And like when I was in high school, if you had a cell phone, it was a big deal. So like in 2012, they just kind of started having smartphones with cameras and stuff like that. So like their goal every day was to see how far they could push me and get me on camera. Two years of that is enough, man. I can't do that. (laughs) Yeah, good for you for trying it out. But to go back to your original question about how do I know when to move on? So I was forced out of teaching. You and I wouldn't know each other. I wouldn't be on your podcast. Nobody would know who I am except for my students had the Great Recession not happened. But coming out of the Great Recession, school districts all over the country were being forced to have to make tough decisions because of money. Just Mm -hmm. like the recession killed everything financially. So personally, it didn't affect me like in my personal finances or anything else. But professionally, it did affect me in an unexpected way. My principal came to me in April of 2011 and he sat me down. He said, hey, man, I've got some bad news. And I'm like, what? Okay, because I can't renew your contract for the following school year. I'm having to cut teachers. And so I and one other dude in the school got cut. We were the last two guys hired. And I happened to be, at that time, the number one teacher in the county in my subject area. So I wow. had higher test scores than anybody else. So I was a great teacher. It wasn't like I was chaff on the floor and they were trying to sweep me out. I was really good. I had a master's degree. I was highly qualified in two subjects. And I had my administrator certificate. So I was on track to be a permanent lifelong educator. And it all got cut away by the recession. And so that's when I became an accidental entrepreneur and started moving in that direction as an entrepreneur. And that's what I've been ever since. So let me ask you this, because a lot of what you're doing now is you're working with entrepreneurs, you run Results University as well, and you're helping entrepreneurs to kind of figure out what success looks like, what scale looks like. 
And I guess I'm curious to find out, because if you look at the threads of your story, like teaching kind of goes through everything you do, you know, like in youth ministry and actually teaching. And I'm curious how that helped you to do what you're doing now. So it's interesting that you bring that up, Jeremy, because as a pastor for all those years, the thing that I loved the most about it was the teaching aspect of it and the performance, meaning whether people believe it or not, the pastor getting up on a Sunday morning, that 30 minutes he has, that's a performance. And that's part of the reason why I had to get out of it. I loved it. And I'm like, oh, this is not what I'm supposed to be. Like, this is not why I should be liking this. I should not want to be up here on stage just performing. And I don't say that in a disingenuous way that I was doing anything nefarious or disingenuously. But nevertheless, those are the two parts of it that I liked. And then when I went into the classroom, that's also the thing that I liked the most. I love the teaching and I love the performance of getting students involved and doing these fun things. And I taught history, which was fantastic because it was story time with Mr. D. I just told stories and taught them how to think through the implications of decisions that were made by people that lived thousands or hundreds of years ago. And so I love that. When I went into entrepreneurship, I started a lighting company. All of that ended. The only time I ever got to perform was in front of a potential customer in a sales pitch, which lasted at best maybe 60 to 90 minutes once every week or two or three. And it wasn't that frequent. And the teaching was just teaching my employees, which is a little bit different because you're paying them to be there and it's a little different. So everything changed for me for that seven, eight, nine years that I was only doing the lighting business. And I didn't realize how much I missed it until I got back into the teaching. Mm. And so when I left and I exited the daily operations of that business in 2020, I started teaching my clients, my coaching clients, how to do what I did. And I discovered that that is, in fact, the reason I'm on this planet. In the year 2020, I went through the Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, the book by Stephen Covey. Most people have heard of that, of course. Yeah. And I did 52 videos, one a week, on the concepts taught in that book. And I put it out on my YouTube channel, put it out on Instagram. And as such, through teaching that to other people, I'm like, man, this is really great. And I discovered through that process that my mission in life is to use my gifts of teaching and leadership to help other people get the results that they want out of life. And as a coach, that's what I now get to do full time. And people pay me very handsomely to help them do that. Mm -hmm. And what I'm trying to figure out is as an entrepreneur who owns businesses, I've got a lending business. I'm about to acquire a motorcycle dealership. And I've got these other things that I'm doing. How do I exercise that gift there? And that's what I'm working on right now. It's really interesting because I've found that kind of similarly to myself with the teaching thread is you kind of have to find the right place for it. Like my master's is in ancient history. So it's not like I didn't learn how to teach wow. kids in the right way. And it was kind of like, all right, we're going to put this nerd in front of a bunch of people and see how it goes. But like <laughs> even with the podcasting world, when I really kind of got into this whole world and, you know, even helping tell people with their stories with my company, I kind of found how I could teach in a new way. And I think when you find that, man, it really is kind of cool. So you mentioned one of the things about getting out of daily operations with the business. And I think that's actually something a ton of entrepreneurs really, really struggle with because they can't think with either themselves not doing something or how would I hire somebody else to do this or what does my business look like without me in it? And I guess when you're looking at that, what do you tell entrepreneurs when they're trying to figure out how to get out of that daily operation and just kind of run the business and not have it run them? Well, that's a great question. And it's at the heart of who I am and what I do on a daily basis. And so my question back to that would be, why did you start your business to begin with? And I don't want to put you on the spot, yeah, yeah. but for your listeners, let's be honest for a minute. Why did you start your business? Did you start it to have a job? 
Is that why you started your business? Did you say, hey, I just want to work 100 hour weeks? And yeah, certainly I should have the expectation I'm going to be paid more than when I was in the corporate world. But you probably didn't start it for that reason. You probably didn't start a business to have a job. You're a job owner, not a business owner. And so when I get to that place and a client's like, or a potential client or prospects like, yeah, I didn't start the business to be doing what I'm doing on a regular basis. Okay, so now let's talk about why you did start it. You started it because you wanted time, you wanted freedom, you wanted control, you wanted choices, you wanted more of all those things. And if your business is not delivering that for you, you know, the definition of insanity is, right? Doing the same things over and over again and expecting expecting different different results. results. (laughs) Exactly. So if you're saying, hey, I want a business to provide me what I refer to as the exit lifestyle, that's what I want. But I can't go to my kids' recitals or soccer practices or I can't like you and I were talking about that earlier. Yeah, the reason we're doing this interview earlier is I'm taking my three-year-old to soccer practice. (laughs) Yeah, so if we don't aren't getting the results we want, we're lying to ourselves. And so many entrepreneurs, they say, oh, I love my business. I don't ever want to do anything else. Well, let me challenge you on that a little bit. I'm not saying you don't love it, but is it providing the lifestyle that you want? And listeners who will listen to this right now, are you really living the lifestyle you desire as the business owner? And the answer for most people is that not really. That doesn't mean you hate it. It doesn't mean you dislike it. It's just not exactly what you wanted. And so what I'm helping my clients do is get to what they really want. It's again, going back to my mission that I discovered in 2020 is to use my gifts of teaching and leadership to help other people get the results they want. So if you are not getting the results you want out of your business, why are you doing it? Let's fix that together. Because you can get a passive income from the business that you own now and not have to work in it. I can show you how to do that. It's really interesting because I know like, and I'm sure this is something you saw as well. Like when I was able to get out of day-to-day operations of my business, because, you know, we had people trained that could do the job well and could do a great job. You can actually look at the future of your business and what you're putting there, right? When you're in the day-to-day, man, it is really hard to see more than three feet in front of your face. And you can't kind of create like, I guess, what your future conquest plans are going to look like. Yeah, your job as the founder of a business is threefold, and this is it. So write this down. There's three <laughs> things you're going to do. Number one, your job is to set the vision. Number two, your job is to communicate that vision. And number three is to build the asset. If you're doing things that aren't related to those three things, you're breaking the law. Not the law of the United States, but breaking the law of the architect. The law of the architect is a law that governs how business is done and how human relationships are encountered. The architect of a business, the founder, his or her job is to set the vision, communicate the vision, and build the asset. If you are too busy sweeping and mopping and selling and designing and doing to set and communicate the vision and build the asset, you're breaking the law of the architect, and therefore, you will never achieve the results that you want. So let me ask you, like logistically, what are kind of those first steps somebody should take if they're trying to kind of get out of that spot? Like, what are some of the recommendations you make to people in terms of things they need to start doing differently so they can kind of get out of that? That's a great question. There's four core principles that I teach around this concept. The first of those four core principles is step one, and that is you have to embrace delegation. So many entrepreneurs pretend to be the hero of the business. They put on the cape, they fly in, they solve all the business problems, they put out all the fires, they save the damsels in distress. And at first, as a startup, you got to do that. That's just required. But 
you shouldn't be doing that two years down the road, not three, not five, not 10, for certainly not more than that. You shouldn't be the hero. So how do you break the hero syndrome, as I call it? You have to embrace delegation. And there are certain ways that delegation works and certain ways that it doesn't. Most entrepreneurs practice either confiscation or abdication. They're not practicing delegation. Yep. And as a matter of fact, on my TED Talk that I gave back earlier this year, that was the entire 16-minute talk I gave was on what is delegation? How do you break free from the hero syndrome? It was actually called the ironic prison of entrepreneurship. So and you can look it up on YouTube. But that's what I talk about. So that's core principle number one. Step well, two. Before we get off of that, I just want to add to that too, yeah. because that's a really, really good point as well. Because I think when you're delegating, like something people don't consider is they're like, okay, so I'm going to hire a salesperson. Okay, go sell salesperson. Hey, salesperson, why aren't you selling anything? And they realize they come into a space that there wasn't a, what do I do every day? How do I do it? What happens if I run into a problem? And as a founder, you need to put those things there so that somebody can be delegated to well. Yep. Delegation is an art and a science. And that was what I really learned through when I hired my first business coach in 2017 until I stepped away from daily operations in 2020. That's what I did a deep study of. Like, how do I delegate appropriately? I've got a fantastic team. They do phenomenal work. And I love those guys very, very, very much. They do great work. But how do I delegate to them so that this works? How do they maximize their talent strategies and giftings and skills without me being there to make everything happen? And you know what? The surprising part of that is that there's going to be when you finally pull off the exit without exiting thing that I teach is there's a lot of unexpected resentment from the lower level employees. Mm. The high level employees, they get it. They understand, hey, you're giving them more responsibility, but the low level and low level, not meaning in terms of value, but like like entry level, not as skilled. Well, or just not in the leadership. They're just workers. They're going to see this as, okay, so you just stepped out so that you could get paid and not have to work. But they don't understand that the founder is setting a vision, communicating the vision, building the asset. And sometimes building the asset means putting a lot of money on the line, and a lot of leverage and a lot of strategic debt and investments. And so they don't get it. And that's an unexpected thing. So be prepared for that. But the second core principle and how you get to that place of living the exit lifestyle is you have to eliminate stress. And you can't make this happen. You can't live this exit lifestyle if you're dealing with stress on a consistent basis. And stress is not caused by the endurance of stressful situations. It's caused rather by too many open cycles at any one time. And there's this other law of the universe called the law of open cycles that teaches us that If we have too many open cycles at any given time, too many tasks, too many things to do, too many things to pay attention to, that's what elevates stress in your life. And you have to eliminate that and learn how to deal with that so that you can freely move into the future without that stress attaching itself and dragging you down with it. Mm -hmm. So those are the first two. So I'll give you some chance to respond before I continue (laughs) rambling. Yeah, because I kind of like to comment on everything a lot. I got a big mouth. I think that's a really good point as well, because I think when you're looking at stress, right, like when you bring that into any situation, you're a lot of times making the situation worse, right? Like you're stressed because all these things you have open undone and, you know, you're not handling your family well, you're not handling your employees well, you're not handling your vendors well. And because of that, you're actually making situations worse rather than solving situations, right? Yeah. Stress is a killer. I mean, I think just from a biological standpoint, stress can kill. But I think that also we underestimate how much stress can affect our business and our ability to operate that business. Yeah. So eliminating stress is kind of the second core principle. The third is 
established systems and processes. And this is the one where most people go, yeah, no, duh, I know that. You got to do that. You got to process. Well, okay, but are you doing it? And do you know how to do it? And you know why to do it? Have you put the right ones in place? And the one that I focus on mostly with my clients is the sales system, because you've got to have the ability to bring in predictable revenue. So when I coach my clients, we spend more time on sales systems and sales processes than anything else. As a matter of fact, even though I'm not a sales coach, Technically, I do a lot of it and I teach. As a matter of fact, this morning I was with one of my clients. I train their entire sales team. We get together once a month for 90 minutes and it's live in person here in the Nashville area. And I do a deep dive in sales because sales is the way for you to get predictable revenue as the owner that doesn't require your presence. And then the fourth and final of the four core principles is invest in people. Your people are your most important asset. And I teach my clients specific ways to invest in them to get a profitable return. And so investing is putting out money, time, whatever it is to get and get more back. So you can do that with your employees if you do it the right way and know how to do it. And I've got some tips and tricks that I've used over the years to keep my employees with me for 10 years or longer. Like people work for me for a long, long time because we've, I've invested properly. But also invest means to furnish with authority and rank. Mm-hmm. And so to make sure that they understand that they're wanted, they're needed, and they have a place and that there's something greater for them in the long term. So let me ask you this, Jason, like business or personal, like what are you most excited about right now, man? Like what has got you like most lit up at the moment? So the thing that I'm most excited about right now is that I'm in the process of acquiring a business for the first time. Like all the businesses I've ever been a part of in the past, I've either bought into as a partner and the original people were still part of it. I actually only did that once. All the other businesses, it was startup. You know, I started the businesses from scratch and this one I'm acquiring. So I'm acquiring a motorcycle dealership. And I wish it was done yesterday, but it's just a long, arduous process. We're 90 days in from the signing of the letter of intent to purchase. And it's just everything's taken a bazillion years to accomplish. But in spite of that, that's the thing I'm most excited about right now. <laughs> I get it. Well, Jason, this has been a great conversation, man. I really appreciate you taking some time out today. I also appreciate your flexibility as you were super willing to work around my schedule today, which I appreciate. So for people listening, they want to connect with you if they want to learn more about what you're doing or they want to reach out to you, man. How are they going to do that? So thank you. It's been an honor to talk to you. You know this game as much as I do hosting and being guests. And it's always a pleasure to be a guest on somebody else's show. So thank you. You can follow me at The Real Jason Duncan on any platform at The Real Jason Duncan. But I really only hang out Instagram and LinkedIn. Instagram probably more so than anything else. I do have a YouTube channel. All of my podcasts, all of my videos, everything goes out on YouTube. And you could again, that's at The Real Jason Duncan on YouTube. But what I would say to the entrepreneur listening or watching this is that if what I'm saying resonates, you're like, you know what, Jason, I'm not getting the results that I want. I'm not living that. Well, then let's do this. Let's do something about it. Let's do something about it. So go to exitwithoutexiting.com. Exitwithoutexiting.com. Go there. Read what I've got to say. Watch. I got a little short video. You can watch about what this is like. And if that resonates with you, sign up for the program, man. I've got a live group coaching thing that I do called the Business Accelerator. And I take you through these four things that we've talked about on the show today. I'd be honored to do that. And if you will DM me through Instagram and say, hey, I heard you on Jeremy's show. I've got a $500 off discount I'll give to you just for listening to the show. So all you got to do is DM me and say, hey, Jeremy, listen to Jeremy's show. Here's the discount. I'll give it to you. Very cool. Well, you guys heard the man exit without exiting.com and the real Jason Duncan. Thank you so much for hanging out with me today, man. Great. Thank you so much. 